I'm so looking forward to the ministry of Brother Ethan Hagen. He's going to be with us here in just a couple of weeks. And uh, this is another one of those ministers that grew up with Sister Sarah Pakangi. Down in Memphis is where he's originally from, his family, and that's where she's from. We've had a, a couple of those ministers that have come up our way and, and been here, but um, so love his ministry. And I, I just want to mention that you're going to want to be here at 10 o'clock on that Sunday. So it's not next Sunday, but the Sunday after that, 10 o'clock, we are going to just dive right into our service, and there won't be a Sunday school um, break out in the Sunday school classes that day. We're going to just go right into our time of worship and uh, just allow the ministry to take place. He's also going to be ministering on that Friday night at 7 o'clock and Saturday at 6 o'clock. Been speaking to him this week. He's so excited about being here with us. And I'm just expecting a mighty move of God. If you could just be in prayer. Amen. And invite somebody to those services. I believe that God can do a mighty, mighty work. Amen. In here. From the book of Ruth, chapter 4, we're going to begin reading in verse 13. It says that Boaz took Ruth, and she was his wife. And he went in unto her, and the Lord gave her conception, and she bare a son. And the woman, or the women, said unto Naomi, Blessed be the Lord which hath not left thee this day without a kinsman, that his name may be famous in Israel. And he shall be unto thee a restorer of thy life and a nourisher of thine old age. For thy daughter-in-law, which loveth thee, which is better to thee than seven sons, she has borne him. And Naomi took that child, she laid it in her bosom and began to nurse, or became the nurse unto it. She cared for that child. And the women, her neighbors, they gave it a name saying, this is a son born to Naomi. And they called his name Obed. And he is the father of Jesse, the father of David. Amen. You can be seated here today. I just want to speak on this topic here today, better than seven sons. It's a peculiar phrase that comes from that passage there where we see the women of the neighbor, uh, the, the neighbors of Naomi, and they're speaking to her after this child is born. And they are speaking to this elderly woman. This woman who, if you know her story, and we'll get into it a little bit in case you don't, she's gone through and experienced a lot of grief in her life, but they tell her that this daughter-in-law of hers, this daughter-in-law who has given birth to this, this boy, that she is better than seven sons. Now, I don't know about you, but when I read this passage... There are so many elements of this story that they strike me. They just jump out of the page at me. And I, I try to imagine myself in the role of Naomi. 
this elderly woman who is there and she is witness to the birth of this child. Now, maybe you have to understand a little bit more about Naomi to fully comprehend what is going on here. But first, I do just want to point out a few things from this particular passage that jump out at me. The first thing what we see is that Boaz takes Ruth to be his wife. It's not long after the wedding day that Ruth gives birth to a son. On the day that the child is born, the women of the town, they begin to tell Naomi, who is the mother-in-law of Ruth from her previous, from Ruth's previous marriage to her late husband, that Naomi is blessed, that she is favored by God. These women, now, putting myself again in the the place and the role of Naomi, she obviously has some good relationships, some friendships with the ladies of the town, her neighbors. She has built up a camaraderie with them that they are there. They know her story. They know what she's gone through. They are celebrating this with her. They're so happy for Naomi. They begin to celebrate the birth of this child. And I can just imagine the elation that is on their faces that these women so happy for Naomi who had lost everything but who now has this child that she's able to care for. See, Naomi, she is old by this point. She's well past her childbearing age. Now, previously, she did have two sons. And these two sons, and her and her husband Elimelech, they, at a time of famine in Israel, decided that it was best to leave Israel and to go into the neighboring country, the the land of the Moabites. Now, the Moabites, these were the people that they were, uh, they, they, they did not worship God, they, they worship Molech, and, uh, this was, uh, really, it was the, the family, uh, their family tree can be traced back to an incestuous relationship between Lot and his daughters, and, and that is where the Moabites come from. They were always, from their very beginning, a cursed people in the sight of God, but, uh, Elimelech and Naomi and Malon and Chilion, they're, they're, Two sons decided in this, in the midst of this famine, we're going to go into this other land, the land of the Moabites. And while they were there, Elimelech, he passes away, the, the husband of Naomi. And then, uh, her two sons who had both married ladies of the Moabites, uh, these two sons, Malon and Chilion, both of them end up passing away as well. It's at this time that Naomi finally realizes it's probably time for me to make my way back home. She tells, she tells her two daughters-in-law, these two who are no longer uh, spouses, their, their husbands have passed away. They really don't have no connection necessarily to Naomi at this point. She tells them, you stay here. And it's likely out of the fact that she knows that they're not going to be accepted in, their, in her hometown. These are Moabite women. They're not going to be loved. They're not going to be cared for. They're not going to understand what, you know, why they're the outcast from society. And so she 
She tells them, you just stay here and I'm going to go back home. Now, this, uh, these two women, the one named Orpah and the other Ruth, they have a decision to make. And Orpah, she listens to uh, her mother-in-law and she decides, I'm going to stay here and, and allow you to go back home. But Ruth makes a declaration. She says, I will not leave your side, Naomi. I love you. I'm thankful for everything that you've done for me. In fact, since I had married your son and and we had become a family, you have told me about your God. And there is something about your God that stands apart from the God that I was raised to serve. There's something about your God that I cannot leave him. And she makes the declaration. She says that your God will be my God and your people will be my people. And it says in scripture that Ruth clave to her mother-in-law, Naomi. She would not let go of her. And she says, if you're going home to your hometown, I am going with you. And so we see this foreigner, Ruth. She goes with Naomi and they go to her hometown. And and uh, we don't know exactly the reception that re- she receives. But we do see that Ruth begins to serve her mother-in-law faithfully. That them now, not really having... A source of income for at that time the uh, the husbands were the ones that they would they would go out they would work they would care for the family. Now both of these women, being widows, we see that Ruth begins to care for her mother-in-law. That she goes into the fields and she begins to glean from the corners of the fields. And uh, this was a practice in that day that when the people would go and they would do the harvest that they would leave the, the edges of the fields for those who are poor and the, the widows. And, and so Ruth begins to glean those. And she gets, uh, she, she gets in the favor of the man who owns the field where she was gleaning. His name was Boaz. And Boaz, he began to take a liking to Ruth. Now, he was much older than her. It tells us that, uh, that uh, he was... Uh, likely around the age of Naomi herself, and that would be uh, close to twice the age of Ruth, but uh, you have her around 40 years old, and, and him a much older man, but he, he was, uh, saw her faithfulness to her mother-in-law, and he began to tell his, uh, his workers who were out in the fields, I want you to leave just a little bit of extra for this woman, Ruth. I want you to leave a little extra here and there. And so we see uh, this, this uh, God taking care of Ruth and Naomi. We see them uh, being taken care of through, uh, through the kindness of Boaz. But there's something down deeper that Naomi has, a desire that she has that's more than just being taken care of. She doesn't just want to be taken care of, but she now is grieving because she is not able to to uh, take or to carry on the promise of the Abrahamic covenant. The Abrahamic covenant was this covenant all the way back between God and Abraham that as long as they served God, that God would make them a blessed people, and that He would. 
come from them and, or he would uh, t- take from them a man and, and there would be a man that would arise one day that would be the savior of the world. That it was through the lineage of Abraham and then passed on to his son Isaac and then Jacob. And eventually we even see from the sons of Jacob, it was Judah that it says that the scepter would never leave this, the, the family of Judah. And Ruth, or I'm sorry, Naomi, she being from the line of Judah, she had a responsibility. She had a promise that she wanted to cling to. The promise was that there was one of these women from the tribe of Judah that would one day give birth to the Savior. There's one of these women that they had the promise that out of their seed would come the Savior of the world. That out of the tribe of Judah, one of them would give birth to the one who would take away the sins of the world. This was the promise. And so Naomi, she carries with her this uh, this great weight that uh, she had two sons to carry on her name, but those two sons they did not give birth. These two sons they did they were not able to carry on the family tree, and so with them the family tree stopped. Their family name stopped. So Naomi she begins to think about the law, the Old Testament law, or the, the law in which they were living under that in that day, and there was this practice. And, you know, I'm kind of laying down some groundwork here today. If you can follow with me, there was this, this uh, old Jewish law that was called the kinsman redeemer. It was the act of the kinsman redeemer. And this is something that in order to carry on the family name, when there was a widow who did not have children, when she did not have somebody to carry on her family lineage, it was the responsibility of somebody within their family to help carry on that name. They would marry them and they would, uh, they would bring a child. And so Naomi taking her daughter-in-law, Ruth, and saying, we are going to take this man, Boaz, who Boaz was her husband, Elimelech. It was his relation. And she says, I want you to go into Boaz and we are going to, uh, we're going to uh, take this, uh, remind him of this duty that they have. And Boaz eventually does go and he takes Ruth to be his wife. And through that, we see that Ruth is able to carry on the name and the lineage that out of them perhaps could come the Savior. And this is a promise. This is a promise that Naomi was holding on to. She uh, is, is, it refers to this child as being the child of Naomi. Ruth was the one that gave birth to it. But it was through the act of Naomi. And it was through her belief in the promise. It was through her belief that God had a purpose and a plan that was far greater than her. And she wanted to play a part in it. She did not let go of the promises of God. She believed in them. And through that, we see that she is able to raise a child that would not only be called Ruth's child, but it would be the child of Naomi. I wonder if there's somebody here today who you've had some promises. 
Some promises that, that you feel like they are long gone from being able to come to pass. Things that in your time of prayer that you feel that God, he has told you and, and he has, uh, that, that you believe in the scripture that you hold, held on to these promises. And, and sometimes those promises seem as if they have gone by the wayside and they're dead. But is there somebody here today who could be like a Naomi and you would say, I'm not going to let the promises of God just die off, but I'm going to hold on to the promise. I'm going to keep believing that God is able to do that which he promised that God is able to carry out the things that I believe that it's all it's going to take a miracle for it to happen but it's going to take place see these promises they did take place and we see this uh this what really could just be referred to as a love story this book of Ruth but it's much more than just simply a love story this is a story about the promises coming to pass This is a story about redemption. This is a story about a woman whose life had been wrecked and her her seeing God begin to resurrect her life. We see a story of devotion as this woman Ruth clings to her mother-in-law, Naomi. We see this story of Ruth that it brings to, to light so many aspects of what it means to follow God. That when things are falling apart, we don't just run and hide. We don't, we don't give up on God. When things seem as if they're a mess, we still understand that God, you are in control. Right? He hasn't stepped away from the throne. That just because things look a little bit messed up in your life doesn't mean that God has stepped away from the throne and he no longer has control. That just because your life isn't where you want it to be doesn't mean that God is not able to get it back to where it ought to be. See, Naomi, her life was a mess. She lost everything. She was there in a foreign land. She was in a place where she thought perhaps things were going to be okay because her son, she did have two sons. They were able to fulfill the promises of God, but now everything has been taken from her. In fact, it was so bad and she was so bitter about what had taken place in her life that when she was In conversation with Ruth, as they began to come back to her hometown, she tells Ruth, she says, I don't want you to refer to me any longer as Naomi. Nobody's going to call me Naomi anymore, but instead I'm going to be known as Mara. Mara means bitter. Just call me bitter. That's what I am. I'm bitter for what God's done to me. I'm bitter for everything that I've lost. I'm bitter that everything in my life has come to ruin. I'm bitter. She comes back into this place and even in her brokenness, even in her place of bitterness, she has a God who loves her. She has a God who is working behind the scenes. And I I don't believe that it's just by her machinations that, that all of this fell into place. But it was God's hand at work every step of the way that we see this 
declaration that would eventually be made by the townswomen that would say, Naomi, you are blessed. You have been, you, this child is going to bring life back to you. This child is going to bring peace back to you. This child, he is going to help you in your old age to restore life to you. You may have come back home bitter, but now you're full. You may have come back chasing after the promises and wondering where did they all go. And it looked like everything was falling apart. And they say to her, they make that, this statement that this daughter-in-law, Ruth, she is better to you than seven sons. Now as I looked through the commentary of this passage, I came across that phrase, better than seven sons, and, and realized that this was not just simply a number that they were throwing out, seven sons, but that seven sons was used in that day as a metaphor for the perfect family. It was a perfect family that Naomi wanted. It was a perfect life. She had it. She had Elimelech. She had uh, Melon, Chilion. She had her son. She had two great daughter and daughters-in-law. She was happy. Things looked like they were going to be great. She had the perfect family. But then what do we do when the perfect situation all falls apart? What do we do when the, what looks like it's perfect begins to crumble? What happens when what we think is, is, is the, the right path forward and the, the perfect way for my life to happen when all of a sudden I run into some roadblocks in life? What happens when the perfect situation, it's no longer perfect and I'm standing here and I have to reassess where am I at? What is my place in life? Where, what am I to do now? Because everything is not as I thought and dreamt it to be. The perfect situation is no longer. So now what do I do? And all she had now was this daughter-in-law who claved to her. This Moabitess woman who Ruth was devoted to her. And, and yes, that was better than, than nothing. But for her, you know, is this really the promise? Is this really what she desired in life? here's what she had to come to the realization is that God's ways are better than our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. And that even when life does not look perfect, that God's ways, sometimes they look messy. Sometimes his ways, they don't look perfect, but we realize that they are perfect. That perfect doesn't mean Perfection, perfect doesn't mean pristine, perfect doesn't mean clean, perfect doesn't mean it's not messy. That perfect simply means that God is going to use this story and, and he is going to make, uh, he's going to allow some things to happen so that he can be glorified in the end. That through 
your situation through anything that uh, wherever you find your life in whatever state you find it in that God is able to get the glory and when we begin to realize that even when things don't look pristine even when things look messy that God is able to come and he's able to carry me through it and I can begin to realize who God is in his fullness because he's allowed me to go through some things When you go through some things in life, you begin to trust God. You see, to that point, her perfect picture, her perfect uh, uh, family that she had in mind was a family that they depended not on God, but they depended on what what around us can satisfy us. In the middle of a famine, let's go run here and let's go find, find what's going to sustain us over in the foreign land. Well, let's, let's go over there and, and find, find out, you know, how, how we can get through life instead of just depending on God. Instead of trusting that God was going to take care of them. See, Ruth was this woman who, she came from outside the Abrahamic covenant. Ruth was an outsider, but yet God was going to use Ruth mightily. God used this, this woman who, she came from this Moabite, uh, tribe and the tribe of the Moabites and, and she comes into this family and, and she ends up playing a very pivotal role in the history of the Israelites and the history of, of mankind because Ruth, she comes and bears this son named Obed. And it tells us that Obed, he was the father of Jesse, who was the father of David. David was the one who he would forever change the history of the Israelites. But not only would he do that, but it was through the lineage of David that we would eventually have Jesus Christ that would be born the Savior of the world. It's through this woman, Ruth, who God uses her and her faithfulness to eventually bring about the promise that Naomi so badly desired that she wanted. This promise of the Messiah. But I even go back to Boaz. Why would it, why would Boaz have such an affection for this young lady? This, this young lady who she was, she was not a, uh, she was not an Israelite. She was an outsider. She was a foreigner. Why would, why would he have such affection for her? And, and you may wonder that until you begin to see who was, the mother of Boaz. And if you see that, then it becomes clear why Boaz may show such kindness to this outsider because the mother of Boaz was a woman named Rahab. If you know anything about Rahab, she was the woman that was in Jericho. When Joshua and the Israelites began to, uh, to, to plan their attack and, and come into the promised land. Joshua first sent the two spies over and they went into Jericho. They're being chased by the, by the soldiers there in Jericho. And there's this one woman, a harlot. She hides them. She opens up her, her, her room, her house, and, and she says, here, come on in here, I'll hide you. And, and she lets them down the, the side of the, the wall, and, and they, in turn, and they, they say, when we come back, because we are coming back, you just 
Drop this thread, drop this scarlet rope down your window. And when you do that, God is going to protect you. You make sure you get your whole family inside that room. You make sure that everybody who you want to be saved is there with you. And they're hiding out with you when we come back. Because God's going to do a great work. And I know in your city it may look impenetrable. But God is going to come and do a great work against you. And so we see Rahab. She goes and she follows, she trusts the word of these spies. And when they come back, she is saved. And then we see through Rahab that she does join and is, is, is brought into the people of Israel. And she marries a man and she has a son. And her son is Boaz. Boaz is this man who he was born of a woman who had been brought in. And now he marries Another woman who is being brought in. And here's just what I want to share today. And I, I don't have a, a long message here for us today. But, but I, I want to just share with you today that wherever you are at right now. It doesn't matter if you feel like this is something that you were born into or you feel like an outsider today. I want to tell you that God loves you. He has a purpose and a plan for your life. That God sees you where you're at and it doesn't matter what your background is. It doesn't matter what your family tree is. That God has a, per- a place for you. And it doesn't have to be the perfect family, the, the seven sons, the perfect thing for, for you to come into the family of God and for God to say, I am going to use you. I'm going to make something out of you. I'm going to rise you up from the place because you would, uh, you would come and that you would be faithful to me and that you would say, I'm going to leave behind the gods of my Moabite tribe and I'm going to make your God my God. Whatever, wherever you go, I'll go. I'm going to serve you faithfully. Come on, God is here and he's waiting for somebody, anybody to say, God, I just need a savior. I need somebody who is able to do the miraculous. I need somebody. I need something that is able to change my situation. And that's what, that's what got the attention, I believe, of Ruth is that, is that she saw something in Naomi when she said, I can't serve my gods any longer, but your God is now my God. And wherever you go, I'll go. It's because she saw in her something that was alive. She saw in her a God who was able to perform the miraculous. She saw in her a God who could really speak to her on a personal level. Let me tell you, this God who you feel right now in this place, he knows you inside and out. He knows everything about you. This God who is here right now, he is open to your cries. He's open to you. If you would just lift up a hand in this place and close your eyes, that God, Lord, he hears every word that you would speak. In fact, let's just pause here for a moment. Oh, is there somebody right now who you need God? Oh, you've been waiting on an answer from him. You've been wondering, God, are you real? Are you there? Well, would you just pause right now and speak? Jesus, I need you. Jesus, I need you. God, I'm here right now, God, in search of an answer. God, I'm here right now in search of you. Oh, God, I need you. (laughs) 
Lord, he's here right now. He's here right now. This God, this God that was better than seven sons, this God who was able to take what we thought was a perfect family, that everything came crumbling down. He was able to rise up from the midst of that imperfection and to make of her to be among the lineage of Jesus Christ. Oh, she was able to play a part in the Savior of the world who would come. When there are promises that are for you right now, and you may say, I'm not worthy of it, I've done too much wrong. I wanted you to know right now that you haven't done too much wrong. You're not too far from God. He hears your cry right now. If we could have our music musicians come right now at this time. There was a God who hears your cry. Could we all stand in this place? There's a God who hears your cry.